Welcome to Music Business Mindset, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow personally and professionally as an artist by looking at the things that really matter, starting with you, your mindset, your mental health, personal growth, so that you can build a lasting music career. My name is David Ryan Olson. I'm super glad that you've joined us today. Have my friends, the Talbot Brothers, on today's show. We had Nick of the Talbot Brothers on episode seven, back when this was called Behind the Bands. So super excited to have both of the brothers back this time. Wanted to talk to them today because they are, one, just absolutely crushing it just in general, but also they did a Indiegogo recently where they were fundraising for their new album and they basically doubled their entire goal for their new album so how the heck do you even go about doing that how do you even meet your goal in the first place let alone double it so wanted to have them on just to ask them their secret of how they did that without further ado let's just go ahead and jump in with that conversation today with nick and tyler talbot of the talbot brothers all right i'm here with both of the talbot brothers from the Talbot Brothers. Yes. How you doing? <laughs> How are you doing? Great. You asking me? How you doing? Fine. These guys are seasoned podcasters, so they're just going to take over the show from here on out. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask Nick some questions. <laughs> <laughs> I have some questions. Where were you the night of? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, super glad that you guys are both here. We had Nick on the show back on episode seven, back when this was called Behind the Band. Times have changed. Pre-pandemic. Yeah, that was like a whole different dimension at this point. That episode was half as good as this one's going to be. You know, we have twice the Talbots. <laughs> but maybe it's like, you know, logarithmic return. So it's like, even though there's two of you, it's only like a 20% improvement. Or... <laughs> Probably. <laughs> two times more likely to fail now. That's what happens with the songs. <laughs> but yeah, super glad we have Tyler here this time around too. So why don't you guys just dive in and share your story? Yeah. So Nick's always better about kind of giving the early background on the Talbot Brothers. Don't bore them with what year and what month. It's because I'm older. So back in 2000, no. We basically started playing music as we grew up. And, you know, we're brothers, obviously. We've always hung out. We've always been able to be creative together and kind of dabble in the realm of music. That was like our common ground. We were very competitive about everything growing up because we're brothers. So it was like, <laughs> you know, one of us plays sports the other one was going to try to be better or one of us would write a song. The other one was going to try to write a better song. Always kind of the sibling rivalry thing. And we basically decided at some point in college, we were going to start playing shows together, playing in bars and just wherever people would take us. And so we were going to different colleges at the time for a brief period, very brief moment in our pasts <laughs> that we attended college. We started playing around in Nebraska, which is where we grew up. Our parents were musical, but they didn't play instruments. Our dad played guitar. We found his old acoustic in the basement when we were young, decided we wanted to start playing music. We both started separate bands, you know, in middle school and high school. The bands I was in were pretty bad. <laughs> Tyler's were pretty good. No, they weren't. We stole him. We were playing like 70s cover music at two restaurants in our vicinity. Like two local restaurants. How much were you doing that? Was that giving you reps early on or was that pretty like small time? Pretty sparse. It was a few nights a week for us. We didn't even have our driver's licenses at that point. <laughs> Mom and dad were still taking us to the to the gigs. But we stole Tyler. He became a lead singer. And then we kicked everybody else out of the band. And then it was just me and Ty. 
And so we toured for quite a while, just the two of us playing like little coffee shops and church and bars and wherever people would hear us. We had a couple guys join us on the road, put a band together, made some terrible sounding demos, booked a few shows here and there. And long story short, when we were attending college, we decided we got to go all in or we're not going to do it. So we booked a show or a tour from Omaha, Nebraska to New York. And we took a semester off of college and we said, if we like it, we will do it. And if we hate it and we suck at it, we'll go back to school. And we still haven't gone back to school. (laughs) (laughs) It was a ton of bars and stuff in the beginning. And it built a momentum for us because we were making money, even though it wasn't a lot, playing these bars and stuff. And it showed us that we could do it and make a living. And while we were single guys or whatever early on, it didn't matter as much because you could make 400 bucks total at a bar show and split that with your band and everybody was going to make rent plus your other jobs that you had. Yeah, we both worked different jobs too. A lot of the time, Tyler mowed lawns. What else did you do? You? I did that basically the whole time I lived near you. You did some roofing and stuff. Yeah, and I worked at UPS for a while loading trucks and just had like random jobs with playing on the weekends and stuff. And so I think over time, like one of the questions we get asked a lot is like, how do you guys do what you do? And we're by no means experts in figuring stuff out. We don't have all the answers. We're still working to figure things out. But one thing that I feel like has always been true about what we've done is we've been pretty tenacious. And I think we're willing to fail and fail pretty bad at times. Like there's times we made no money at shows and we would be at a bar in Chicago playing a three hour set and like there's five people there (laughs) and you make no money. and, And it's like those moments we turned into lessons where we were able to like say, okay, this is a practice, like a live practice or we're just honing our skill. And so we've just, I guess, worked our asses off and we still are and just trying to play as much as we can and record as much music as we can. And we have a great team around us now, which is nice. It's not just two of us, but this has kind of been what we've been able to do since we moved to Portland full time. And we've been really grateful for that. We moved to Portland about six years ago and we still go back to the Midwest and we tour all over. It's been really good. And I'm sure people are tired of hearing about the pandemic, but... It really felt like we were on this trajectory before 2020 that was just going up and up and up. And then when that year hit, we were basically, I think we were just taken way back, a few steps back. And so we started to try to focus on some other things. And music didn't just mean being on the road anymore, you know. We had to find a way to make it matter and not be... on the road. Yeah, it's the old saying, diversify income. Right. Before the pandemic, you guys were just absolutely nuts with how many shows you guys oh, were man. playing. We were playing too many. 200 some shows a year. And th- that's great. I think a lot of your success has come from that. Playing so much, both like getting your reps in, making fans, all this stuff that we all know comes with shows. But yeah, it maybe exposed a lack of income diversification. So when that hit the fan last spring, What happened with you guys? Yeah, it's a good question. I think to like piggyback on what you said, when things did shut down, we had a tour, pretty good sized tour booked in the spring of 2020. Our last show was in March and then everything closed down. It was our first and last show of the tour. And so we thought, you know, we're just going to wait it out. And it was like, oh, you know, we'll wait a couple months. Maybe we'll wait till summer. Okay, maybe we'll wait till fall. And stuff just kept getting pushed back. And so 
we were back in the Midwest at the time and Tyler started working at a, another place and I started working at another place and we just basically worked and wrote a bunch of music. We had been working on music off and on, but it was, we were home, we were able to be in one place and start really honing our songwriting, which is something we've tried to do, but we've always been touring. And so basically the whole year, we had a collection of all these songs, you know, 30, 40 songs, and we wanted to make a record, but financially like we were in a bind too because we'd made all of our money touring normally it was like the whole repetition of go on the road make a bunch of money enough to make a record be able to take care of your team your family pay your bills and then you go back to the studio you take some time off well we were able to do that because we put all our eggs in one basket so we started looking into some licensing stuff we started just kind of looking at like other ways we could make some income, started a podcast with our buddy Jake Cooley and just try to look at other ways to to make money. And I think one of the things too was we were like mental health wise, we needed that break. And when you're traveling that much and you're away from your family and you're away from any consistency, it can really wear on you. And I don't want to speak for Tyler, but that was something we both, I think we both realized was like, okay, let's take a step back and like, all the problems, all the things you run from or you bury or you suppress start to bubble up to the surface. And so it's a daily battle, but we've realized we're more human than I think we thought. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is a lot of our musician friends, what they're trying to figure out is how to do the road. And the booking agent thing changes a lot. Once you get a booking agent and someone else is going to bat for you, that changes a lot of things. But a booking agent wants to see that you've toured extensively in order for you to sign on with them. So it's kind of a catch-22 thing. And once we showed the girl that we work with now, Sarah. Shout out to Sarah. She's great. Yeah, that we had toured all over the place. She was open to working with us and like starting to book some venues. And one of the big things was moving from a guarantee to a ticketed situation. So instead of going to play in Joe's bar for 500 bucks, you're playing at some theater or something and you're charging however much per ticket. That was a big thing for us. That changed a lot when we started doing that. Yeah, because you create demand. You create this supply and demand where you're starting to limit your exposure and your ability to be able to play for free at some place down the street. And it's normally two or three hours. I mean, we were playing shows that were four hours long. Nobody in their right mind should play for four (laughs) hours. And we decided with the help of our team, they were just like, hey, if you guys want to do this, you got to shift your perspective. And we were always looking at it as like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, they're going to pay us a flat rate. We're going to go in. We're guaranteed that cash. Why would we sell tickets when we have no idea how much we're going to make? We might only sell 20 tickets and walk away with 80 bucks after everybody takes their percentage. And then we have to split that with the band, with the crew. And we realized that those shows started to become more lucrative. We started cutting out the three to four hour bar gigs. We started to play shows that were actual shows rather than like in the corner of a venue or a bar somewhere. And not to knock that because some people love doing that. We have friends that love playing gigs like that and they're great at it and it's fun. Well, I think it also depends on what stage of your career you're in. You can't exactly go zero to 100 instantly. You can't go and try to mimic you two doing arena tours when you're just starting out. So like 
playing three or four hour bar gigs, 200 gigs a year, like that has its place in your career. At a certain point, it kind of evolves once you've reached a certain level of success, once you start, you know, being able to bring in those kinds of things. Yeah, we have friends around here that could call any venue and book a show within a week to do like a rehearsal for a big show. There's all kinds of ways that you can spin this job that we do. And so just kind of going back to last year, like David asked, like, what did that mean for you guys when you weren't on the road anymore? Well, we started digging into a little more of licensing stuff that we had fought against for a lot of years. Because as a band, if your song is on a commercial that's how everyone else that is a musician defines selling out. Like if, you, if your song is on some bank commercial, you've sold out. That's not true. It's a completely different, and maybe coming from me, it doesn't mean anything, but it's a different time. And doing music for a job, if I'm writing songs for a commercial, if someone calls and says, we have this campaign, this holiday campaign, we want you guys to write an original song for it, man, I'm still waking up in the morning and going to work making music. It's kind of a hard thing. I remember um, Gregory Allen Isaacoff, he did like a McDonald's commercial and lost like 20% of his fan base or something because he, you have to check those numbers for me, but because he did a McDonald's commercial and he basically responded to everyone and said, man, I got bills. I got a family. I got a kid I'm putting through college and when McDonald's come to me, and says they want to use a song that I've already recorded, <laughs> they can use it. You know what I mean? And and I think that's a issue with a lot of musicians is they want it to go the way they have envisioned in their mind. And if there's another way and a good way that you can use your music, you should follow that. Let it happen. Don't fight it. It doesn't mean just because you get McDonald's that you're not going to go on the road for 100 days a year or whatever he does. It doesn't change that part of the authenticity of what you do. There's so much more to being a musician than just touring or just making a record or just boxing it in into one avenue. I feel like we as a society have looked at an artist or a musician as like, okay, they're going to release a ton of singles and then they're going to go on tour and I'm going to go see them at a show and that's it. All the stuff that happens to make that happen is insane. You're paying for a PR team, your booking agent, your management, your crew on the road, your band, your front of house, the tech, everybody that you have with you, there's so much that goes into it. It requires a lot. And so being able to fund all that stuff and have a way to still be creative doing it is not taking away from you being a musician or an artist. It's just adding to the diversity. Sometimes it's a fun challenge. I remember a brand we work with called The Buckle, they're awesome. They're an apparel company, and we wrote a song specifically for one of their campaigns. And it was really cool because we love being able to be creative and kind of get outside of our comfort zone, but it doesn't mean it's a song that goes on an album. It doesn't have to be a certain thing. It's just you're writing for a specific purpose. And it's a fun challenge as an artist to be able to do that. And so when you get those opportunities, I think you have to weigh each one that comes in. It's not it's not just a template you can apply. Like what works for Ty and I might not work for everybody. Maybe people don't need to tour 
150 to 200 days a year. Maybe they have a different way to do it. But for us, that's what we did. It's totally dependent on your genre, what you want out of it. One of the things that we preach on the show is build a business around your music so that it gives you the life you want. Not everybody wants to live on the road. Some people want to kind of silo off their touring and their shows, but then like spend most of their time creating in their little den and streaming on Twitch and, and you know, all that stuff. So thank you for bringing that up. And songwriters too. You know, we've met so many songwriters at festivals or early on we did a lot of... Um, Songwriting retreats. We did like song school once, which is like you basically get together with a bunch of other songwriters and you share stories and write music together for a week. But we'd meet at these retreats or whatever. We would meet the writers for big name artists. You know what I mean? Like Tim McGraw. Yeah, we met a guy, Steve Seskin, and he writes a bunch of hits. But he lives his life behind the curtain and doesn't want to tour. And from the sounds of how, well, he says he loves it that way. He doesn't want to be on the road. He loves writing songs and selling them. Yeah. It's about what you want, what you desire, and the things that you're willing to sacrifice. But also, I believe it's possible to do anything you want. And I think it's about figuring out how to make it work and trying to find the balance in that. Speaking for myself, the balance has been a really tough thing because balancing work with your personal life has always been a really hard thing, especially as an artist. feels like there's a lot of things that get sacrificed, and unfortunately it's a lot of the personal stuff for us. And so we realized that in the pandemic when we took a step back, it was like, oh, we're able to like work on these things now and try to work on ourselves, and maybe we don't actually have to tour 200 days a year. You know, maybe there's things we can do to put on bigger shows and create more of an experience where people, instead of playing four shows in Colorado, we play one big show in Colorado and people drive to it and they come out. And if they don't, then they wait till the next tour. And we just have to kind of change our perspective on a lot of that stuff too. So it's hard though. We love playing live. That's the issue with us is we love being on the road. The shows are like the payoff for what we do. I've got a family now. And I had a baby 10 months ago, and it's changing perspectives. Last year changed a lot of perspective for me. Like, I love being on the road, right? But could I still do what I love and be a little more present with my friends and, like, in a community setting? Because you'd think about it, brother. We got friends all over the country, right, that we would call friends, but we drop in and out of their lives every Twice a year, three times a year. Yeah, so it's a weird thing, but I'm at the point in my life, I just had my birthday, I'm 29. You're so old now, <laughs> so much wisdom. I'm thinking about things more as you do when you get older, and I'm thinking, like, I want to be somebody that's in people's lives that they can count on, and I'm doing what I do, I've just been kind of like a wishy-washy in and out. And you'd probably tell me that you could do a good job of being present and still be on the road. And I'm really bad at that. That's the hard thing. I feel like as a creative person, as an artist, if you're, if you're doing anything, whether it's music or painting or whatever, you have this point that you reach with the project you're making where you can either be super vulnerable and let it all hang out and just put it all out on the line, or you can be really conservative about it and just kind of like get your painting done. It's maybe not exactly what you want. Write a song. It's maybe okay. And you kind of settle and you release it or you hang it up in a museum or whatever art show. 
And if you release something or you put something out that's really vulnerable and it's a little bit bloody, it shows kind of the scars and, and the dirt, the things that are not pretty, those are the things that you feel the most nervous about, but they're the things that are the most rewarding because everybody else or the majority of people feel that way. And they want to hear you say that. They want words and music put to their feelings and their emotions that they wouldn't know otherwise how to process, which is the same for us when we hear a song or somebody releases a, a single and you listen to it and you're like, holy shit, that's me. I couldn't have felt that or done that. I think it's important. There is a little bit of a responsibility that we have as an artist to be honest and to be vulnerable. So I think it's okay to talk about that stuff. Like, yeah, we're terrible at a lot of things. Like there's so many things we fall short in, we fail, but we also want to be transparent as much as we can and be in it with people rather than like pretend everything looks good on Instagram. Yeah. Well, so you guys hinted that life is changing a little bit. Like Ty, you just had a kid and you have a family now. <laughs> I think a lot of people kind of get tunnel vision on, on what being an artist is. When you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, you think, oh yeah, we're just going to grind it out. We're going to play music. We're going to play bars and it doesn't matter. It's just going to be awesome through our own sheer will because we have great songs. But as you get older, your priorities change. You're thinking about how do we make this work for us and the life we want and our values. So I guess between getting older, having a family, both of you guys are married now when like you guys weren't when you first started. So between personal life changes, this pandemic thing, what else is changing with your business model going forward aside from more experiential shows and, and everything that you kind of hinted at? I mean, that was a big thing for us. You touched on the higher production shows so that people drive from surrounding areas and come to one big show rather than hitting four cities in a state. And then the licensing thing, trying to focus more on writing songs for every kind of situation. We've kind of gone onto this thing now where if a licensing opportunity comes up and they're asking for a specific song style or feel, then we don't have it. We want to write the song anyway. And then the next time someone comes up and wants that song, we have it available. That's one thing for sure. We have definitely decided that we want to cut way back on being on the road. And that kind of goes with putting on the bigger shows per place. But really, it's just been about, you know, like you said, family and getting older. Uh, we've done the road dog thing for 10 years, even before we consider ourselves a band. Nick and I were just playing wherever before college. You were in high school when we started. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. I think adding a team has been really good. Tyler and I are perfectionists, kind of control freaks. We like to have things done a certain way, and we've realized in the past couple of years that you just can't operate like that and be successful. And having people come in and breathe new life, bringing in new blood to what we do has been super rewarding. It's allowed us to kind of step back and, you know, working with a producer on a record, just different things where you have people around you that are encouraging, but also challenging you. And you don't feel like you got to do it all on your own anymore. And for a long time, we felt that way. We felt like it was all on us. And Tyler and I used to meet up at a coffee shop in Kearney, Nebraska, and book shows back in 2011, 2012. We would meet up and just sent out, literally every day we'd send 
50 emails. And sometimes we'd send so many that we'd send an email to the same person from two different emails. <laughs> and it was so unorganized, but we were just trying to work hard on the business side, like you touched on David too, because like we had a, a guy kind of step in early on and tell us if we really wanted to do this, we had to run it like a business. And so setting up your LLC, building your team, realizing what you do well and what somebody else could do better is super key. For us, we try to do everything ourselves. And it's still a struggle today. Like there's things that Tyler and I still struggle with, like trying to figure out how to do. But at the end of the day, it's like somebody's going to do this in half the time. What was the first thing you delegated? Booking. Yeah, booking. God bless Sarah. And that was the one of the hardest things, especially while we were so focused on being on the road at the time. It's not like we don't care about the road. We have a higher expectation for it now. We were on the road playing one tour while we were booking the next. And you, you just can't. Like, there's <laughs> no way to balance that with all the marketing, everything else. So that was that was a huge component for sure. Yeah. Well, I just know so many artists are feeling like they've bootstrapped for a while. They're starting to feel overwhelmed. They want to take things more seriously, but they just aren't really quite sure where to start bringing people on, whether it's hiring out, delegating, adding people to the group, whatever. So I guess, would you just have any general advice for an artist that's trying to loosen the reins a little bit? Yeah, man, that's a good question. I feel like the best advice that we could give is when you look at other people and what you see is successful, if you're on Instagram, you see one musician post this or people are doing this, that's great. Like get ideas get inspired, but look inward and look at what you value. Like, what are the things that you want? What are the things that you appreciate? What are the things that you could set goals for and be excited about every day when you wake up, even on, on the worst day of your life, when your head hits the pillow, if you don't love it, it's not worth it. And I think for us, the piece of advice we could say, like in the beginning, the thing we did was just tour play as much as you can, take the shows that aren't going to pay you a lot. Instead of playing four times a week in Portland, go out and like make a little run. Go to Boise, play Spokane, play Seattle. Even if they're quote unquote bad shows, play those shows because it teaches you a lot about yourself. It gets your name out in front of people. If there's 10 people there, there's 10 people. 10 more people that didn't know you before in a city you don't live. Plus, you build your roster, you build your resume, and you can later use that kind of to pitch to a booking agency and say like, hey, we played here. The best part is the booking agency doesn't need to know there was 10 people unless they ask, you know, how many tickets did you sell? <laughs> well, it wasn't ticketed. We just played a 11 p.m. slot at an open <laughs> mic in whatever town. And that's cool, but just fail. Be willing to risk it and fail and like... Don't get so caught up in everything being overnight because we live in a world where everything, the expectations of stuff are so high right now. With social media, there's this pressure that everybody else looks good. Like there's all this stuff happening and you want that so bad that you think you're deserving of it or you think like tomorrow it'll be there. Just randomly you'll wake up and your life will be different, but it is a grind. Just like any job, it takes a lot of work. And I think that's one thing we could say that we've taken from the Midwest. Our parents have always worked hard. Our family's always been that way. If they care about it, they work for it. And we failed a lot. We still fail. 
we don't have it all figured out, but taking risks on things. You know, we did a crowdfunding thing for the record, which was a huge risk, and we were super grateful that worked. And just, we played some bad shows still, you know, still have off days, but at the end of the day, we're in love with what we do, and it takes people that believe in you and not doubting yourself. We do that too. I think everyone that makes music has in their mind that they will be discovered because of their music and how good it is. And as a musician, you're not wrong when you think your music is really good. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) There's always a bigger fish. Nick and I know that there are thousands of thousands of bands that we we go watch play live and we're like, we doubt everything. (laughs) Should we even be doing this? This is what a good band is, you know? So you you do that, but that's the thing is when you realize that you're not going to be quote unquote discovered or whatever that word even means because of your songwriting or your live performance or something, or there's a lot of high hopes hung on a new record or playing a show that has the venue has clout that you think you're going to get discovered or something. Guys don't roll around at venues with their glasses on and their notebooks anymore like they used to when they were signing bands. It just doesn't happen. There are so many of us that they need someone they trust to tell them about you. They don't need to go watch random bands in their city or whatever. Maybe maybe some do for fun. But they are looking more for like a recommendation nowadays. And... If you can remind yourself that in order to be quote unquote discovered, you have to really stick your neck out and go to work. It's not going to just happen at some great show. Uh, I think the last artist that is very successful that I heard of getting discovered that way was Ed Sheeran playing Jamie Foxx's venue. And the Jamie Foxx came up to him after the show and said, hey, you want to come record at my studio? I mean, that is the last real story I've heard about someone who has been, I'm saying quote unquote a lot, quote unquote successful. (laughs) That's the last Ed Sheeran. He's been around for like five years now. People do think that there's this magic show or there's this one thing that's going to change your life forever. I mean, we've been approached by two different labels, you know, one from LA and one from Nashville. And we walked away from both of the deals because it didn't feel right in our gut. It was one of the hardest things we had to do because if they had approached us five, six, seven years ago when we were young kids, we would have been like, oh yeah, we made it. <laughs> but what's making it, you know? For us, we've defined that as paying our bills, supporting our families, doing what we love, having the ability to wake up every day and be content and like find ways to try to make a difference in the world and speak for people through music, speak for the things that we struggle with. There's nothing like the feeling of writing something and you're afraid to even talk about it and you put it into a song and you go to a venue and you're at a show and there's 500 people singing back to you those same fears that you wrote in your bedroom and they're singing them back to you and they're in it with you and it's it's this moment that's why we love the live show and we we love being able to do that because there's nothing like it no song will ever be the same twice 
Well, let's talk about how you even got there in the first place. I'm glad that you said this. There's no magic bullet for getting there. It's not about your next mixtape you're dropping, going to you know change it all, man. You guys put in a lot of work over a lot of years, and it's really only now starting to pay off in like a big, big way. Because even those like five or 10 person bar shows, I've seen you guys play those and you're out there, you're talking with people and you're building actual genuine like relationships with people. It's not trying to have the flashiest social media that draws people in. It's like, no, you're, you're starting the relationship offline and then moving it into your ecosystem a little bit. Was that ever like something you had to learn how to do or did that just kind of come naturally for you? Did we talk about that ever? Like trying to... Well, Tyler's really good at it. I take a lot of notes from him because he's really good at being intentional on and off stage. He has always been that way as a kid until now. And me being his older brother, I feel like I could speak a lot of truth to that. But he's been super intentional with being present where he's at. And I think... We always go back to the old adage of it's relational, not transactional. And I think for us, it's not about trying to make a bunch of money. It's not about trying to get something from people. It's about just being there, being in the moment and like sharing that with them. And then if they want to buy a shirt at the merch table, they do. If they don't, then they don't. There's shows that we go to where we love the music, we love the band, but we just don't want to buy a t-shirt. There's nothing wrong with it. I would say nine times out of ten when I watch a band, I do not buy merch. Yeah, but you're cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Even if I really love them. No, I know. We always go back to that where it's intentional being present, being in the moment. And I think that's definitely been something that we didn't realize at the time. I don't think we, like you asked, bro, I don't think we ever sat down and were like, let's do it like this. I think we just kind of came to us naturally where we genuinely care about people that come to the show and like, for somebody to buy a ticket and to drive there and to spend their evening and their money on on a show for songs that they might not like every song, that's an investment. And so the least we can do is, aside from the music, you know, we want to give back because that's really humbling and rewarding. Back in 2011 and 2012, Instagram was around and it just wasn't how it is now. It was mostly still people just connecting with friends and stuff. You didn't see any ads on there at the time. You know, it just, it seemed way more organic. So for Nick and I playing shows for, you know, 20 people or whatever at a bar, we just saw that as the only way to actually connect with people because most of those people didn't even have Instagram or Facebook or whatever. So we just went out after we got done playing like we wouldn't even do like a green room like we do now after we get done playing we go back there and take a minute because it's a lot bigger deal now than it was then but we'd get done playing back then and we just set our stuff down and just walk out and start talking to people or go up to the bar and have a drink or whatever and it just it was just like a natural thing and we still want to do that there are some shows where we can't do that realistically you just can't reach everybody if there's you know five six hundred people there and that's where like the meet and greet thing we're starting to do that now which is really cool where it's like an intentional time but i mean you're also talking about like a 20 hour day yeah you're exhausted you get there in the morning or whatever you're packing up in the morning you get to the show you set up all afternoon you're there you play the show and then by the time you get done with the show it you've been at the venue for like 12 hours I don't want to sound selfish in any way, but I would never go to someone else's job and expect them to 
give me attention after they've worked a uh, 20-hour shift. Is that selfish? No, I think it's it touches on just being human, and I think there's everybody has a limit to needing to recharge. And the thing for us was like, when we were playing the smaller shows, we were able to do that easier. And now we're, some of the places we play when they're bigger venues, we have to actually carve out, you know, a meet and greet. Honestly, that's like the best part of our night is when we actually get to meet people and hang out and talk to them instead of having the wall that sometimes exists on stage where... It's not an easy thing if it's not planned now because there's too many people in and out. It just makes your work day a little longer. Yeah, well, not even just the work day. It's exhausting. So, like, if there's intentional hanging out going on there, I like that. I mean, I love talking to people, and they're there for you, right? Same reason we're there is to share the music with people and try to connect. So that's a very interesting thing. I never thought about that growing up and doing music. Like, we just always did it. And now, you know, it's not like we could just jump off the front of the stage and walk out and talk to people. Yeah, it's a little harder. (laughs) Well, but even as you were initially building your fan base, the fact that you spent time with people and learned their names and all of that, I've seen that pay dividends multiple times over because if if a band that you really enjoyed seeing chats with you for five minutes after the show or even, you know, you sit down and you have a drink and you shoot the breeze for like an hour or whatever, that's going to make their day or month or whatever. And they're going to be way more likely to come around next time to put in their email address for your newsletter, you know, all all that stuff. I've seen people drive states to see you make merch on their own dime and donate the merch to you to sell. And like, I completely attribute that not just to your music. Like your music's good. (laughs) I mean, it's okay. He also has to say that he's one of our employees. (laughs) (laughs) Your fans are super, super loyal and like have your back. I think everybody if you're going to be building a music business, be building fans that have your back. Yeah, man. And I know everybody probably says this as an artist, but we do have the best fans. We're constantly interacting with them in some way, whether it's a mailing list, texting list, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. We're always daily interacting and they love what we do. And we love the fact that they love that. And it's really cool to get to know them. I feel like one of the most humbling things is we go to a, you know, go to California, go to Washington, D.C., Texas, go to Florida, wherever, and you see them come back and you get to know them and you create this community of people that's stretched across the country. And it's the weirdest thing. Like you feel like no time has passed, but yet there has been so much that's happened. And it's really, really humbling for people to keep coming back. Yeah. Just the music alone and just putting on a kick-ass show alone isn't going to inspire that level of loyalty. It's the whole package. It's the investing in your fans and, and having them be nurtured. One of the things that we preach on this podcast a lot is there are four levels in this framework. There's non-fans, self-explanatory, casual fans, which are the fans that are like kind of aware of you. Yeah, maybe they've listened to a song or saved a song or, you know, if their friends are going to the show, they might go to. Beyond that, you have true fans. And these are the people that, you know, they're willing to spend some money on you because they really are a big fan of your stuff. And then beyond that, you have super fans, which are just like, they'll do anything. They'll, even if it's a gimmick, like they're going to spend money on, they're going to drive states to see you. And you guys have really, really invested in converting casual fans into true fans and then true fans into super fans. I'd say I'm a true fan for a ton of bands. Like 
I will spend money on their shows, buy their albums, go online and get merch and stuff. And it is a very special thing to be a super fan. Because of we do the music, I don't know if I have the capacity to be a super fan for somebody. But Ray LaMontagne, he's right on the <laughs> cusp for me. You're so right. That's such a special thing. And we can't be aware of that. I mean, there's people that come to their shows and we know they enjoy it. We talk to them afterwards. They had a great time. So did we. They get a CD or something. But we never see them again. And it's not because they didn't like it. It's just because they went out their one time they go out a year and you happen to be the band at the club they wanted to go see, you know, where they heard you on Spotify or searched bands in their area, you know. I get that. That's why I was talking about earlier, like you're kind of in and out of people's lives sometimes with what we do, but it's still a good. I like being that for people. Yeah, when you have the people that really invest and in like a super fan, like you said, David, they will pretty much be there every show. They'll do a lot of things that invest back into you and kind of keep the wind in your sails. And we've been really fortunate to have a lot of people like that. I feel like when we show up to a place and it's a foreign city and we may have only played there once or twice, or if we've never played there before, but you see that one person that you've seen before and you haven't seen them in eight months, it offers a little bit of encouragement. Like you're like, oh, okay, maybe we don't suck as bad. Maybe what we're doing is okay. Like maybe <laughs> there's something here and they might bring a friend next time or three friends or their friends might tell somebody and you just have to keep investing back into them for sure. So if you as a listener want to know more about this new business model of casual fans, true fans, super fans, we have a whole free workshop that you can go sign up for at musicbusinessmindset.com. You can learn that. I promise you, if you understand this framework, it's going to change your life. But one of the things that's been really powerful to see in the past year, especially during COVID, is that your coalition of super fans and true fans have your back so hard that if you haven't asked, they're going to deliver. You guys just did an Indiegogo for your new album, and you absolutely just like freaking crushed it. Did you guys double it or almost double your goal? Yeah, we almost doubled it. Let's just back up a little bit. Tell us the story about crowdfunding this new album. We were nervous to do it. I think we went back and forth about 10 times with each other about how much we were going to actually ask for. And the year was really hard, so obviously Nick and I weren't taking a, what we would call a paycheck from the band the whole year. So we started thinking, you know, do we include that in the Indiegogo? Do we just break it down and figure out exactly what we need to make the record and at the end of the day we realized we need to ask for exactly how much we need to do this thing that we would ordinarily do if the year had been different so we asked for the exact amount that we needed we broke it down by the dollar and then i think the indiegogo started at what 35 yeah, it was like 35, I think. And that was everything from the PR team to all the studio studio time, musicians, producer, engineering, mastering, printing vinyl, CDs, T-shirts, everything that we would originally be able to pay for. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand that you spend money to be in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Like when you want to record music. Yeah. If you want to do it well, for sure. We'd made this, the whole thing with all these rewards and these perks and stuff and Ty said we were just like, oh, I don't know, man, we hate asking for anything. We're from the Midwest. We're prideful. <laughs> we want to be able to do it ourselves. And we realized we just can't, you know, and 
we posted about it one night. I think we launched at like 9 p.m. one day and we woke up two days later and the whole thing was completely funded and we were just blown away. We were like, are you kidding me right now? Like, so let's make another record. And we decided if we could reach the the next amount that we were going to re-record a bunch of songs from our past that we'd put on a couple different records we made growing up in Nebraska. A lot of people have been asking for them. So essentially two albums were going to drop. And so we made the extra to be able to do that too. So we were really, really grateful. Yeah. One of the cool things about that too is um, a longtime friend of ours and a drummer that's been with us for years, Jake Cooley. It was cool because when we recorded redoing those older songs, I mean, he knew those like the back of his hand because he had played them for years. So we had him come out to Portland and work on those songs. But he also has been out here while we're working on the new album, recording some stuff. And I was super excited to do this podcast because we do our podcast similar vein every week. And we didn't do it last week because he was here. And we're so used to the remote setup. We could have set it up live. We've done it before. But I was like itching to do podcasts. (laughs) I just love conversations and David and I kind of love you, I guess. Um, But yeah, it was cool to kind of go back and revisit those old songs and then also bring in people to do stuff on the new record like we've been working on. And Justin Abel, uh, a producer, has been pushing us big time on the new songs. And it was fun on the old songs because we kind of captured these moments and we redid them in new ways, but it's been incredible. And we knew that with that doubling of the Indiegogo or whatever, we needed to use that wisely. And this whole year of being not putting anything out and, you know, you know this too, David, because David plays bass with us, but we didn't really tour with Ghost Talker, our last record. And that was the weird thing is, you know, we've got some shows this weekend and we were thinking, oh man, we got to get all these new songs learned. And then we were like, wait a minute, these people haven't even heard Ghost Talker yet, our last record. So it's just kind of like reassessing from last year. And that campaign was incredible. I I donated 50 bucks to it the night it launched (laughs) because there was only like one backer. And I was like, oh man, this is just going to tank. And then I woke up the next day and it was already like 50% funded. And I just, I didn't stop checking because I was just so thankful. And I just knew that no matter what, we were going to use it for giving the music back. And there's a perk on there for people to sing on the new record. So we're really excited about that. Like we call that a gang vocal. So we're a gang now. We're in a gang. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're super excited. New record should be out sometime in the next 10 years. When is it out? I don't know. We can't say yet. Single's going to come out in a couple months. A couple years it'll be out. <laughs> we're uh, working a lot. We got a lot of songs and it's been really cool. Without the campaign and super fans and just people that were involved, we would not have been able to do it. It all comes back to that, like having people around you. I think one thing we've been asked a lot in the past few weeks especially is like, oh man, how'd you guys do that? It wasn't us. From all the touring we've done, from all the relationships we've built and the time that we spent with people, people that cared about it, cared about us, cared about the music, just wanted to be a part of it. And it wasn't anything special that we did other than just try to be intentional and 
let people know that we also care about them. And there's no magic potion. There's no like this thing you can do. It's just, it's honestly the people that have come alongside us. Yeah. Your Indiegogo campaign wasn't two weeks or whatever. Your Indiegogo has been the past 10 years. Yeah, man. That's really wise. Yeah, I never think about it like that, but seriously, it's been cultivation of all those shows for 10 people that where we got one fan and the rock boat was a big thing. You know, we were talking earlier about remembering people's names and stuff to go see. I think I learned at least 50 names in three days, you know, people, but I remember them because you spend a lot of time with them and you got to hear like their stories and stuff and you get to go up to the bar with them and have a drink. Yeah, the house shows we did. We did a bunch of house shows this spring, just acoustic, went to people's backyards and played like 40 shows. People would book this house show and, you know, somewhere in Colorado and we would go play it having no idea who they were. And they would say, oh, yeah, we saw you five years ago at some winery and wherever. <laughs> and we were just blown away. People were paying attention. And they knew how hard the year was. And when we threw those house shows up, I think people took it as an opportunity to, one, to watch live music in a safe space. And then, two, to just pour back into us because they knew we had had such a hard year. And we still have some of those house shows because of the Indiegogo. That was one of the perks on there. So we're... It's awesome. Those are so fun. You're just hanging out in someone's backyard. Just anything goes, really. Mm -hmm. I think musicians tend to forget that people want to support you. You're so used to just like thinking about, no one wants to stream my song. I just got to get more people to listen to my song. It's like, well, have you thought about asking people to support you? (laughs) People have an actual emotional, spiritual connection to your music. Of course, they're going to step up to the plate if you have an ask, but you have to have an ask. On the subject of the ask, why didn't you guys ask for more? Well, that was probably between the two of us a big issue because we were trying to figure out. I think we knew in our minds that it would be able to surpass what we could be humble about and expect. We did the minimum of what was actually the dollar amount we needed. That's what we decided because we thought if people want to go above and beyond for it, they totally can And we'll ask for what we need because that's why we're doing it, right? We're not asking for more than we need to just see what happens. Like, could we have got 90K if we asked for 60? I don't know, maybe. But we asked for 35 or whatever and got over 60K. There was more happening there than people being like, I support your new record. It was like people that were able to keep their jobs throughout the pandemic wanted to support the arts musicians it was more it meant more and it's gone into more than you and i brother you know it's other musicians it's justin our producer who the year was different for him too uh and it's going back into the industry to the people that print our records and our vinyls and you know just i mean i'm sure there's a ton of bands that are like you know what let's just tour with that record we recorded two years ago why not? Nobody's heard it. But for us, we were like, well, man, we wrote 40 songs, so like we should just record them, right? And people want new music. They've been listening to our record for a whole year shut in their living rooms. Yeah, sorry about that. So we need to give them something new. <laughs> it felt really good to do it, and they, they did go above and beyond. And I think we just had in that, a hope for it. And then people passed that with what we asked for. Yeah, and we turned around and we're like, let's just make more music. 
and now we'll be able to do a record. We'll be able to record our own record when the time comes next year or whenever we do another one because it's just the way it went when we were doing our job to the fullest extent before what happened in 2020. And Nick and I would have basically been coming out of our own pockets to do a record last year. It would have been a completely different scenario. I probably would have had to get a second job in order to do it. I was just trying to support my family new baby coming. I freaked the heck out, man. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> the Indiegogo thing changed everything because we're still doing it. It's like we picked up where we left off and that's because of other people. And like David said, 10 years of real honest fans and playing everywhere we could back in the day and they're good. Yeah. You're not going to double your 35k Indiegogo by just trying to get on more Spotify playlists. Everybody thinks their music is real great. It's more than that. It's a little of everything. Being a real human being is important. Mm -hmm. You hear me, brother? Still trying to work on that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So just as we start to wrap up here, what advice would you have for younger artists who are just trying to get their footing? We used to say play as much as you can. And I don't know if that's the best advice anymore. Is that the right advice nowadays? I feel like there's a balance. You don't want to just play 350 shows a year. I feel like if you do that, you're sacrificing something. Something's always getting sacrificed. But I do think you have to play a lot. I feel like that's important. The industry's changed even from when we started. And that's the hard part about this job is there's really no manual. There are some really good things you can do and advice, and there are wrong things to do and right things to do, but it's also evolving. Well, what works for us might not work for somebody else. Because the people that we hang with, our community, our fans and listeners are unique in the fact that they're with us, you know, and another artist might have a completely different type of people. Their demographic might be different. They might be living in a different place. They might have different songs. They might have different branding and stuff like that. You know, there's so many parts of it. But in a nutshell, I think if we could offer any advice, it would be to build your brand to understand what you stand for. Just write good songs, like always write as much as you can, perfect your craft to get to a point where you feel good about playing it live. Make a recording, whether it's a vinyl or CD, or I guess cassettes are back now. (laughs) Put it on Spotify, put it online, share it, create your fan group outside of social media so you have direct interaction with them on a mailing list or a text list or whatever it is because you want them to be able to be a part of what you're doing directly. Tour, play shows, build your team, have people around you you trust that support your vision, but also give back to them. And just be real, be who you are. Don't try to conform to what you see online. Don't try to be something you're not. Just whatever it is that you are, be that. It's worth it in the long run. You know, if you spend your whole life trying to be something else, you're just wasting your time and you're wasting everybody else's time. Damn, I had a lot to say, but... Go ahead. (laughs) You're next. Not everything I say, just going to cheapen it. I agree 100%. If you can create a a song or something you believe in that you feel is worth hearing... Don't stop trying to put it out into the world. Amen. And also don't be stupid. Use Instagram. Amen. (laughs) Don't ignore the reels. And do podcasts. Do TikToks. TikToks, man. Stop being prideful. Now we're getting to the personal realm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on today. I'm so glad that we finally got the both of you.
So that's it for my conversation today with the Talbot Brothers. Real quick before we go, we'd love for you to sign up for our free workshop on the new music business model. Just go to musicbusinessmindset.com to sign up. We're going to teach you everything you need to know about how to build a sustainable income in the new music business. Also, just real quick, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you could give us a quick five-star review. It really helps more people find the show. But for now, that's it. And we'll see you next time.